0: Hello, I'm Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Today, I've got two guests, I'm really excited. We've got uh, Alison Gross, the physiotherapist, who's uh, calling in from Cornwall. And I've got Jen Dearman, the CEO of my favorite charity, Challengers, although one shouldn't have a favorite charity. Um, Ali, thanks for joining us. Um, Stretching, the winter coming on, we've got to look after our bodies. What tips have you got for us today?
1: Well, hi, Derek. As you say, I'm in almost sunny Cornwall at the moment. Um, so normally I go on about stretching, but this time I'm going to talk to you about getting keeping your strength up. Um, it's it's kind of the latest thing that everyone's talking about. So when we get to fifty or over, I'm sure none of you are quite that far. Um, our bones begin to lose density and it's very important that we work a little bit to keep them stronger and make ourselves safer for the future and also just to feel really well and healthy so first thing I always say to everybody is remember your posture remember your shoulder blades thank you Godfrey that was beautiful shoulder blades back and down and pretend you've got long earrings here you'll have to pretend guys or maybe not Um, so that you've got space between here and here and your shoulder blades are down so you're in a good position and then just start with a couple of turning your heads in each direction. Just feel the stretch at the end of that range, just for a couple of seconds, just to warm you up. So you're going to do two to each side. And then we're going to go over to one side, ear to shoulder and hold it there for a few seconds. Too fast, Eric, back to the center and then down to there. Okay, so that's just getting the blood moving, getting you moving a bit. But to get the strength going, you need to work your arms and your legs and your spine. So very easy for the arms. I've actually got a bit of dog food here. I'm sorry, I haven't got all my equipment because I'm on holiday. But if I just stand up for a minute, all you need to do is stand in that great posture that you've just worked out and think about bringing a weight up and down. So you're going to first of all, bring it up to your shoulder and down. And then you're going to bend forward and push it behind you and back so that you're working the muscles in your upper arm. So that's a good start because people look at me and they say, weight training? I can't do weight training, but actually all you need is a tin or you could do a band exercise. Oh, Godfrey, well done. (laughs) Look at him, he's showing off. Um, So yeah, so you need to do some, uh, between eight and 12 repetitions of each of those movements. And you need to do that two or three times a week. I mean, I could talk for hours about many stretches, but I'm just giving you that one as a start. Um, just to get your mind thinking about what can I do to be a bit stronger and to keep my bones safe. And it's also as simple as just um, leaning against the wall and doing a press up against the wall. You don't have to get onto the floor and do that. Um, I'm sure another time I can give you lots more stretches. But I just want you to remember, think about your posture. Remember to breathe properly. and In other words, don't be breathing up here. Try and keep your shoulders down, do some deep breaths and just do some simple reps. You can do it while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Could do it when you're on the phone even if you're not on a video call or a depends who you're talking to and Derek's just got a little thing is going to go up on the screen for you to see about um, what I'd like to remind you about so hopefully you've got that have you Derek.
0: I have Alison, I've got the challenges one first so I just move that back can you see that is that on the screen?
1: Yep, yeah, that's perfect so just remember to exercise two or three days each week not consecutively And it does, on this thing, I put 20 to 30 minutes. I realize that's quite unrealistic for a lot of people. Even five minutes is good. And then just gradually increase what you're doing. The most you can lift by eight to 10, 12 times, and then build up to three sets of each. You should be doing this in addition to all the normal stuff that you do, the normal weight-bearing, walking or running or dancing, whatever you like. And my big thing, remember, use it or lose it. It's so true, especially to do with keeping your bones strong. If you don't use them and use the muscles around them, your bones and your muscles will get weaker. And there we are. Have fun with that.
0: So that's to strengthen our muscles, is it?
1: Yeah, because if you, our muscles are attached to our bones. So if we strengthen our muscles and work them, it actually increases the um, blood supply in our bones as well. And it will help to keep them much stronger and keep you safe for years to come, basically. So.
0: Fantastic. OK, well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us from Cornwall while you're on holiday. That's absolutely brilliant. Uh, no problem. Nice to see you all. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And now uh, now we go to uh, Jen Dearman, who's the chief executive officer of uh, Challengers. Challengers is a charity that operates in the southeast of uh, England, giving a better quality of life to uh, disabled children and uh, youngsters, teenagers and also particularly helping their uh, their parents who Mm -hmm. have uh, a pretty tricky time, which I've uh, witnessed uh, so Jen welcome thanks so much for joining us I'll just um, if I may I'll just put up uh, the slide you gave me no I won't because it's for some reason it won't work I'll sort that I'll sort that out in a minute uh, yeah Jen um, tell us a little bit about you give us a snapshot of uh, your life or your, uh, your career so far
2: well um, thanks so much Derek for inviting me on. Um, so a snapshot of me, I have worked in the charity sector for pretty much 20 years now um, and before that was mainly working for um, for a healthcare company. Um, I have always wanted to do something that felt like I was making a difference so I think the transfer from being a project manager to, to charities was um, was probably quite logical Um, I'm a mum of two amazing boys who are both prison officers and a grandmother to adorable Ted, who is seven. So I can't, somebody asked me about me, of course, you've got to get the kids and the grandkids in there as
0: well. Fantastic. Now, um, you told me when you got into the charity sector, but um, how did you, why did you enjoy, why did you apply for challenges? Because I know quite a bit about challenges, and that is a very difficult 24-7 job.
2: Well, the other thing, Derek, you know about me is I'm a bit of a runner. And that's probably why I've been to Ali's physio several times as well. Um, But it was about seven years ago and one of my friends phoned me up and said, there's this charity run and it's happening near you and you can run dogs. So would you mind running one of my dogs and I'll run the other one and I'll pay your entrance free. So I'm like, brilliant, free run. I'm, I'm up for that. What charity is it for? And he said, oh, I don't know. It's local. And he goes, I'll, I'll send you the details. And anyway, it was Challengers. So I found out about Challengers six years before I ended up working for them. Um, and I fell in love with what the charity did. I loved the fact that it was non-exclusive, that it included everyone um I was I have a bit of experience lived experience of disability and additional needs in terms of family members um and I just yeah I just fell in love with what they did and I sort of started to become their greatest fan so when the role was advertised for a CEO I was doing a similar role wasn't CEO I was chief operating officer for a national education charity I saw the job come up at challenges and I just didn't think twice and Kept my fingers crossed and I've been blessed to and privileged to have um, worked there for the last 20 months.
0: Yeah. And I've noticed you've done a fabulous job. So congratulations on that. That's uh, absolutely terrific. So what's the difference between um, being the CEO of a charity and the CEO of a commercial business? I was wondering.
2: It's a really good question. And I've never been a CEO of a commercial business, but I can tell you there's a lot of things that are the same. So at the end of the day, we both have strategic plans. We both have a board that we report to. There's an element of needing to be unique, having our USP, um, balancing the books the same, thinking about your competition, You know, you know, making sure you've got the right staff, keeping the right staff, bringing in the income, balancing the books. So there's lots of things that are the same whether you're in a not-for-profit or a profit-making. I think the key difference, as I've just alluded to it, um, when you're in a charity, you are not there to make a profit, certainly not there to make a loss. We have to make sure that we cover our costs, but any additional money that we make over and above our costs gets reinvested back into the charity, whether that is helping more people or, or anything like that. Um, and I would say the other difference to me is the need overwhelms. So if you're in a commercial business and you've got lots of people demanding to buy your services, hopefully that's great because it means that you make more profit. When you work for a charity, you are fully dependent on your funding. So sometimes the need for what you can provide is a lot higher than what you can actually offer. And we're seeing that in our charity at the moment. So. One of the things that we do at Challenges is to provide short breaks for families of disabled children at weekends and during school holidays. It's basically a place the kids can come and play in a safe environment. We help 750 families across the southeast and we have 400 more wanting our help that we can't quite help yet. So I'd say that those are the hopefully simil- a lot of similarities, but also a couple of key differences as well
0: and you've had cutbacks from um from the council and from the funders and from the government haven't you recently that must have been tough
2: it was really hard um the you know the funding from local authorities hasn't changed for the last 5 years but of course costs have changed um so it meant through recent tenders that um we we lost about four, well we we are unable to provide about 40% of what we were providing before Mm-hmm. Um, and we're funded about 50% by local authorities so it's put a huge amount of pressure on our in you know on our fundraising budget and it's just really sad to see families who desperately need this kind of help a not being able to access it or if they can not accessing it enough so if you have a disabled child it is you know 59% of the families that come to us can't go anywhere else they've been excluded from from other um pay and leisure facilities so we're really important to them but if they can only access that for five days a year i would say that's not respite for the parents and you know any child should be able to play safely five days a year of safe play outside of the family home i think is is not good enough
0: mm-hmm. it's really uh, really tricky i know you've had some difficult conversations with some very upset emotional parents crikey um how did you handle that I think it's
2: just, you know, we we were just really open with parents, and with Surrey as well, we had meetings where parents could talk to both parties, so us and the local authority, Um, and we just want to do the best by the families that come to us. Whilst we can't offer short breaks, we have got other things that we can do to help and support them, and it was just making sure that A, we listened to what they had to say, B, they, they felt that we could give them a voice, And that also we made sure that they were aware of every other way that we could help and support them if it wasn't through short breaks and respite.
0: Now, not only do you have to report to uh, your board or trustees or whatever you call it, you also have to report to government departments, don't you? Ofsted and and the Care Commission as well.
2: Well, all charities are governed by the Charity Commission, so we have to make sure that we're applying to law and legislation there. And because we run activities, well, we've got two preschools at Challengers. So we're in early years. We um also have play, which is from four to twelve. We are then governed by Ofsted. So we have to make sure that we meet the Ofsted
0: requirements. Um, you don't just, need to just meet, for our American friends. What does Ofsted stand for?
2: I don't ask me what it stands for. I can oh, never okay. remember acronyms. So thank you on that one. But basically. But Part of the Department for Education that makes sure that um, schools, that charities that are offering an education experience are reaching the right standards of doing it. Now, quite half of what Challengers does isn't Ofsted regulated. So one of the things that we do is provide a service for children that have been excluded from education, for example. So we're not a school. What we do is we work with them and we just helped try and reset them out of their crisis to get them back into education. Now, wow. we're very clear we're not a school, but Ofsted did come and visit us because they thought maybe we were at an unregistered school, which is law-breaking. And actually, we spent the good afternoon, um, myself, my head of service and, and, our, and our worker, just walking them through our service so they could gain an understanding that we weren't breaking the law that actually we weren't under the law. So it's, yeah, it's a real interesting kind of mix. I don't know if I've explained that very well, but no, I'm give you a bit of a flavor.
0: Very clearly. Um, I'm curious about uh, these children that have been excluded from school. That's, that's for really, really bad behavior, particularly with autistic Asperger's, things like that, or?
2: Key thing to understand with children that have disabilities is that every behavior is a form of communication. So if a child is not in the right school for them, the teachers may not be able to understand the behaviours of that child Um, and they might not be trained to cope with them. It could be that they've got a new diagnosis or that something's going on at home and their behaviours are escalating and it's not right for the child to be kept in the school. It's not right for the rest of the school children to be exposed to that level of complexity and it's not fair on the teacher. If they're in the right school, that shouldn't happen, but sadly, sometimes they're not, and therefore they're excluded. So what you've got is a child who's trying desperately to communicate something to you that has then been told that they're not good enough, that they're excluded. So we take them when they're in crisis. It also helps to support the families if they're still working so that the child has somewhere to go. and We don't exclude them and we try our hardest to reset them. Sometimes it can take six months. We've got some children that have been with us over a year whilst we're waiting for the right school placement but success for us is when we get them back into a school environment and what's happening sometimes which is brilliant is the schools phoning us and saying we're at risk of exclusion can you help us and that to me is where we should be going because actually what we're doing is we're preventing a full-on meltdown and we're working with education to keep a child happy and safe in in the right environment for them
0: and what's the most difficult thing that's happened to you in the 20 months that you've been totally responsible for everything, almost? <laughs> the most
2: difficult thing? Oh, gosh, that's a really tough question. Um, I think having to say to families that services were cut was was probably the hardest thing um, because I spend so much time talking to the families, the parents and the carers, that actually knowing what... As much as anybody who's not in that situation can ever understand, but knowing the impact that that was going to have, that was the hardest piece for me in in the 20 months.
0: Must have been terrible. And what what's the best thing that happened? Let's 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 get into. Uh, can I have more than one? <laughs> yeah, go on. Of course you can.
2: So I'm going to say first of all, my staff are just amazing, and especially those on the front line. They inspire me every single day because of the work that they do. I love spending time with our children and young people so I will quite often go go on the play floor if I've got the time and just spend some time chilling out but I think for me the highlight was this in the summer so in Guildford we have a new playground which you've seen Derek and there's this giant slide now the word impossible does not exist at Challengers so we had children in wheelchairs being pushed to the top of the mound safely I'd I'd hasten to add and because they wanted to be and then using a mobile hoist hoisted out into the lap of a play or youth worker to then go down the slide where they are then mobile hoisted back into their wheelchair and 30 minutes it took for that one and a half seconds of coming down the slide but the smile was worth the 29 minutes. Mm. And that to me just sums up. I mean, it, A, it was a highlight watching all of these children do something they've never done before. Um, but it just sums up what the spirit's like at challenges because nothing is impossible.
0: Mm. Yeah, nothing's impossible. That is a fantastic thing to be able to do. I've seen those smiles. And I've got to be honest. When I see those smiles, it brings tears to my eyes. I get all sort of choked up. You cannot see, believe that someone's been stuck in a wheelchair for all their lives and get carried from bed to the wheelchair can have such an exciting and congratulations on the playground. The playground looks magnificent, and uh, I think it's opening next week. And uh, it is. I'm on my way. I'm coming down there. To, to I'll get you
2: to, on that trampoline, Derek.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, now. People are living all over the country. We've got a couple of friends in from from California. What can listeners do or anyone watching this to help their local charities, Jen?
2: I I think the best thing anybody can do is to take that first step and ask the charity, how can I help? Because depending on the size of the charity or what's going on in the the sector the charity is in, every answer will be different. So never assume and ask what you can do to help. I know as a charity leader, I spend a lot of my life fundraising and having sleepless nights because we don't have enough fundraising and and all of that kind of thing. But for me, the gift of time is utterly priceless whether that is supporting a street collection and you're there with a tin and some of the charity people, the employees, whether you're rocking up and marshalling at events. It's not about running a marathon, but perhaps you could go and cheer those on that are doing it or use your skills in the back office and help with finance or, or admin. So I think the thing for me is give them the gist of your time and ask them how you can help.
0: I know that you're always there when there's an event on, but you did absolutely—you did uh, abseil down uh, the—I don't know what it's called—that tower, Portsmouth. What's it called?
2: Spinnaker Tower.
0: Spinnaker Tower at Portsmouth. It's so high up. How you did? How did you manage to do that?
2: Once you're at the top, you haven't. We've only got one way down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Did um. Were any of the uh, any of your customers the children able to do that as well? Was it? That-
2: yes? We had one of our alumni actually, a, another wheelchair user, um, a brilliantly brave, complete adrenaline junkie called Phoebe. Um, Phoebe has cerebral palsy, and working with one of the staff, actually, we managed a tandem um, abseil down down the Spinnaker Tower. What was fabulous is I was there in tears, her mum was there in tears, but actually, I don't know if you know the Spinnaker, it's a real buzzy place in Portsmouth. Everything just stopped. It wasn't just Team Orange that were there, everyone stopped. People in a local pub actually started coming to the windows to watch how amazingly brave this young person was. And to see like a hundred people sitting there screaming and cheering her name was just absolutely, Oh, it
0: it was mind blowing. It was brilliant. Yeah. Well, before the final question I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to mention this. I hadn't heard of Stephen Bartlett, believe it or not, until you mentioned to me uh, last week our uh, one to one. And I've just demolished his book in one go. It's absolutely uh, fantastic. What a guy. He's on Dragon's Den. He's only 31. And seeing his sharpness on uh, Dragon's Den, which I looked at really, uh, really carefully uh what what made you um what made you pick up stephen bartlett i know that you you're interested in all sorts of learning
2: yeah i saw something that he posted on linkedin it was a quote probably about 18 months ago and i just followed him from linkedin i really liked some of the things that he was posting they kind of resonated with me i think it's really hard to find those sort of one-off quotes that makes you stop scrolling Um, But he seemed to do it really well and then realised he had a podcast. So I listened to some of his uh, podcasts. I've now subscribed to the podcast channel um, and obviously bought the book when when it came out. But you've sort of smashed it out of the park because you've beaten me to finish it now.
0: (laughs) Well, I went through it and did all my highlighting, marking it up and everything else. I'm going to go back through it because it's all all the issues brought into 2023 that everybody listening, watching this is into because uh, lifelong learners and he puts it in a very succinct positive way i wish i'd written the book oh i was going through that thinking god i wish <laughs> i'd have written that but uh, that was brilliant now last question before we i'll have a quick look in the chat box and then we'll stop the recording if you could ask society one thing that it could do what would it be
2: think about the role you can play to make the world more inclusive so at challenges, we subscribe to the social model of disability. And what that means is that a person is disabled by society, not by their condition. Now, sometimes I say that to people and they go, Oh, you've made my brain hurt. Yeah. The easiest way I can describe this is I'm sat here and I'm in front of my keyboards and I've got my notes and I'm wearing glasses. So if I take my glasses off, oh Derek, you're very self-focused now. Um, and I can't see the keyboard, I wouldn't be able to mute or unmute myself. I wouldn't be able to see my notes. So technically I am now disabled. I can't do what I need to do, but some bright spark made glasses. I put those back on. I can now see you. I can see my keyboard. I can do everything. So it's about what can we do to remove those barriers or to change things so that you can rather than you can't. And sometimes it can be something really practical like making sure that doors are wide open for wheelchair users. Other times it's about attitudes, and I think it's a story that I'd quite like to share is about a family where maybe the boy has, or son or daughter, has autism. Now, autism, if you can be speaking, you could be non-speaking, but one thing for a lot of people with autism is that change is very, very unsettling. So imagine this, family, day out, they've gone to soft play. The pop-up food where they've told the children, this is where we're gonna go for lunch has changed. So it's not burger place anymore, it's a a hot dog place. For a child with autism, that can cause extreme panic because it's a change. So what you may see is a child who is screaming and shouting. If they're non-speaking, they might be hitting and punching. All they're actually trying to do is to say, I'm having a bit of a meltdown because I can't cope with this change. Now, what's worse for those families is when they get passers-by that stop and stare, or people perhaps will touch because they think, oh, you need to learn to control your child. Actually, that's not the case at all. What that family's doing is just accepting the fact that their child is having a bit of a meltdown because of change. Sometimes they're asked to leave. So for me, it's not just about the practical glasses, making sure the doors are open. It's about people's attitudes. So if I could ask people to do one thing, that's just Think about what you can do to be more inclusive and to be more accepting of differences.
0: Hmm. Is it getting better, Jen, in the last 10, 20 years, or is it getting worse?
2: When we went out to families in Surrey and asked how many of them, all families with disabled children, had a safe outdoor space for them to take their child to, 6% said yes, 94% said no. So is that better than 20 years ago? Quite possibly, but it's still pretty bad.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: That's um, that's um, that, yeah, that's terrible. I'm um, I'm speechless, and I'm not usually speechless, but uh, oh. yeah, no, thank you. Um, there's a question from Nigel Kirby. Now, this you may not be able to answer this one, but this is a typical Nigel question. Uh, Jen, how do you evidence your social return on investment to your funders and board?
2: That is a great question. So um, we're very child-led at challenges. So we have a number of staff who are trained to talk to our children about their experience of challenges. So we will go around and visit all of our schemes and spend time hearing from the children, how do they feel, how are they playing, are they safe, what do they enjoy doing? So we, we effectively get feedback from all of, our, um, all of our service users. We also talk to our parents as well and understand the difference that it makes from them. And one of the trends that we are seeing is that parents are saying, actually they see us as a vital service Um, and that by being able to send their young person to challenges, it's not only improved the young person's mental health, it's improved the mental health of the family unit. And one of the things that we want to start to do is to take that to the next level and start to understand what the SROI is around the wellbeing piece. Now you can't do a direct correlation to say because of challenges, it equals X, because there are too many variants. But we know that we are part of that solution. So, yeah, really, really good, really good question. So thank you.
0: Now, I know Jeremy Hunt's the MP for um, um, one of the uh, Challengers constituencies and you bend his ear quite a few times, don't you?
2: I would hate to think I bend his ear. It's always very... Um, open to listening to what I have to say he's Excellent. very kind Excellent.
0: can you just pull your camera down and show off your Challengers t-shirt for everybody there we go yeah yeah um, very
2: much team orange
0: about uh, about uh, six years ago Challengers rebranded themselves with the orange and it is a great color and when you see everybody in uh, Challengers t-shirts it makes a massive difference and I guess it attracts, in some way or other, extra funding. It attracts more uh, more customers, uh, and it makes it makes a difference. So, uh, um, Jen, thanks for um, Thank thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for the fantastic work you do, and congratulations for that. Um, and um, have you got one last tip for everybody? Just one last tip. Didn't warn you about that, did I?
2: No, you didn't. So I'm going to say, listen to what Alison said earlier and do strength training exercises because I've been doing weights over the last 12 months and I've noticed the difference. So I would say, do what Alison said. That's my in that last case.
0: Time. I'm going to bring Alison back in for uh, one last tip, uh, Alison. What? What? Ali, Ali, the physio. What is it? My last tip. So
1: it's all very well saying you need to do these things. You've got to work out how you're going to do them. So I think. Pin it to something you do every day. So every time you put the kettle on for a cup, not every time, one time in the day when you put the kettle on for a cup of tea, do 10 bicep curls. There you are. Pin it to something. If you pin it to something, you're more likely to do it or diarise it. I'd actually do that myself. I I actually practice what I preach and I have it in my diary when I'm going to do my my Pilates and stretches and strengthening stuff. So it's possible. Just takes a bit of organisation.
0: Fantastic. Can I ask, uh, thank you both for coming on, sharing your time, sharing your expertise and your tips. And can I ask everybody on Monday Night Live to give the usual round of applause and appreciation to to you both. Uh, Thanks very much. And if you stay on for a little while, that would be fantastic. I'm Derek Arden. Thanks for joining Monday Night Live. If you're watching this on YouTube or uh, listening to this on Spotify, thanks for doing that. And uh, remember what Jen said. Be a little bit more uh, uh, kind to people that uh, have issues and uh, share some of your time and even some of your donations. Thanks for joining us.